0: And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much and good morning. Let me add my welcome, particularly if you're visiting this morning. It's amazing to be together. And we're jumping back into our series, a story to live in after a couple of weeks with John sharing vision. And uh, we're uh, in the final um, chapter of the Bible. So we're kind of rounding up this, this story and locating ourselves in this grand narrative of Scripture that we've been on this journey as a church. And I think it's helpful perhaps to remind ourselves where we've been and particularly for those jumping in uh, today and then where we're going to go with this, with this final bit. And so this phrase that we've been using a lot, and help me out here, we've been using this phrase, context is, brilliant, context is key, that's absolutely right. And um, the way I've described this is, uh, one of my kids, Josh, um, a while back, he had this um, superhero-themed day at school where all the kids could come dressed as superheroes, which was really his love language. So he got very excited about this and was thinking through big decision, what shall I go as, and eventually he landed on Batman. a uh, Solid choice. And as it got nearer to the time, he came to me and he said, Daddy, why don't you come as Robin on the school run as well? Oh, good idea. (laughs) Um, But I didn't have the heart to turn down this amazing offer to be his wingman for the journey to school. And so here we are at eight in the morning, just as the sun's coming up, and this picture of us as we set off on the school run. And so there we are, we're walking to school, but it made sense, right? It was a little, let's be clear, I was the only adult dressed as a superhero on this journey, but it still made sense because there was context. There's Batman, so it makes sense, there's Robin. And it made even more sense as we got nearer to the school, because there's all these kids in, in fancy dress. It's kind of this mini Avengers Unite thing going on as we get towards the school. And so it was context. It wasn't started until I started walking home, that there was a little less context. <laughs> People kind of giving me strange looks. So I did, get, I did share a kind of mutual outfit appreciation nod with the lollipop lady. That gave me a bit of encouragement, but other than that, it was just me because there was far less meaning as suddenly I was detached from the original context. Robin was detached from Batman. And so when we think about Scripture and this phrase we've been using again and again, context is key. Let's just go on a really quick whiz through, a really quick overarching view of where we've gone, what we've been sharing about this story, and we'll kind of start to round it up today as well. So, we started at the very beginning with creation, created in love, for love, with this unique calling of God's image bearers in the world, if you remember that language. And then the decreation entered the story as humanity wanted to define good and evil on our own terms, basically grasping at being God and so pain enters the story and the rest becomes then this redemptive restorative journey of God initiating this looking to bring us back to the garden this very beginning as it was when we were with God. And so I'm going to kind of draw this storyline out through emojis because why not? And so the next one then the next talk was Abraham, Father Abraham, there he is. And um, We looked at this promise that Abraham receives in Genesis and his descendants were given, that they would be blessed in order to be a blessing to the world around them. And we had this word covenant, and there's this really helpful uh, quote on covenant from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, which I think is really helpful as we think about something like this. He says this, a contract is a transaction, a covenant is a relationship. A contract is about interest, a covenant is about identity. It's about you and me coming together to form an us, and that is why contracts might benefit, but covenants transform. Really helpful language and this covenant that God enters into with humanity, this idea about through Abraham and his descendants being blessed to be a blessing. And the next part of that blessing and that transformation of God's saving work came through the Exodus story with Moses, this unlikely leader with this calling as Catherine shared with us to be a people of God's presence and what that looks like to carry and follow God's presence. And to help us just again with this timeline to show where this all fits in, I thought I'd also pop in some other well-known people that you might have heard of along the way as well. So in between there, there was Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. Uh, he's, he's gone there. And then after Moses, we have um, Joshua in the big wall, a list of um, judges, prophets like Deborah. And we had Ruth and Naomi with this amazing profound display of, of committed friendship and trusting God. We had Samson in there as well with his long hair and big guns. And then we went through to the next bit of our series, which was really about kingship and the life of David, this shepherd king, again an unlikely leader in human's eyes, the man after God's heart, yet not the full thing, as we saw that we're still left longing for a different kind of saviour to save. And so In and around that time, then in the story, you'd have lots of prophets, people like Isaiah, Jonah and the big fish, Daniel, aka the lion's den, uh, Queen Esther and her trusting God in saving her people. All the way through and then this time really of apparent silence and apparent kind of what's going on, has God forgotten us? And then a young couple engaged to be married, travelling to Bethlehem for a census with this bombshell news that they're expecting a baby. That baby that is Jesus. God moving into the neighbourhood, the one who all these people, all of this journey have looked and tried to follow, sought after, sung about, now knowable, literally in flesh, really what that word incarnation means, an embodied fulfilment of all these themes that we've covered, like covenant and um, and the law and the prophets. Like Jesus was able to say, you've heard it said, or God said, and he says... But now I tell you, dot, dot, dot. In other words, it's it's a fulfilment of those prophecies. I am God, I can speak in this way. And through his life, death and resurrection, really the hinge point of all of human history, ushering in the kingdom of God that is at hand. The kingdom of God that's in your midst, as Jesus said. And so we heard all about Jesus that brings us into that open space. And then Rachel, as a guest speaker, you might remember came and shared then on the church. This ragtag group of followers like Peter the fisherman turned rock and pioneer and preacher. People like Mary pouring out expensive perfume having been dignified and empowered afresh. Matthew from a reviled tax collector booth to suddenly front row seats of Jesus' life and ministry. And with the church, something was ignited in that upper room that would spread across geography and spread across generations. The church, as Rachel said, not something to consume, but the reality of a new family to be part of, empowered by the Holy Spirit with this marker, that the presence of God where anything is possible. And this then was the context for the New Testament that we read in the four Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, which is really like a history book of the early church, and then the various letters and correspondence as the, as the message spread, the, the New Testament, which leads us then to this final book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. And my aim, just for the rest of our time, is to briefly look at Revelation in this particular style of writing, and then unpack the language that we've heard already in our reading, specifically the Christian hope of what it means for God to make all things new. So Revelation, it is an intense read. It's got dragons and fire and swords, it's kind of like a Game of Thrones meets Lord of the Rings and some mashup. All of these things going on, it can be incredibly challenging and incredibly confusing. And people have been wrestling, it with, wrestling with it over centuries. Uh, as well as all of that challenge, it's, it's still worth exploring, entering into the mystery, thinking through like, what does this mean to us? What could this be saying? And so let's have a quick look here at what's going on and what that language is like. And remember, approaching the Bible is a little bit more than just, instead of just opening one style of book. It's, it's like walking into a vast library made up of all kinds of books all contributing to the one grand narrative but different styles of books. It reminded me as I was preparing for this, when I lived in London, I spent some of my time studying and what I would do is I'd go to the, um, the British Library in King's Cross my thought process was simple. It was basically, if I could be in that kind of environment, it might make me a bit smarter. And there's also some great cafes in there as well, which is the other motivation. And all around, even in the cafe here, there's this amazing, amazing array of books, just stunning kind of bookshelves and all these different genres, all these different styles, different types of book, each one we'd need to approach in a different way, with different expectations, with different interpretations. It's the same in life, right? You'd read a newspaper differently to a comic book, differently to a tweet, differently to poetry, right? And so when we enter and step towards the Bible, it's it's helpful to have this kind of mindset. And in Cafes is helpful as well, just some of those different styles. Very, very roughly, the Bible is 43% narrative, so stories that show meaning from history to parables, shape how we see the world. About 33% poetry. So this is creative language using imagery and art form. And about 24% discourse. So from law to speeches to letters, like real life events distilled and applied kind of a sequence of ideas and thoughts that require a response from those engaging with it. And so each type of communication is a different invitation to the same story, but to enter into the story in a different way. And Revelation, when we come to this last book, it has elements of all three of those things. Elements of all three, but it's also unique in that it's something called apocalyptic literature, a style of writing, apocalyptic, which from the Greek really means involving like a revelation, hence the name, or an unveiling. And it can all be summed up in the first five words of the first chapter a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's who it's all about. It's not as some people have made big mistakes trying, it's not like a code to crack about end times and things like this. Primarily, it's saying, Look to Jesus. Again, again, it says, Look, keep your eyes on Jesus in various ways, helping us to seek and see Jesus. The languages it's used, like the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the archetype, the endpoint, past, present, future. In other words, all that we long for, all that we can find fulfilment in, look and seek the one Jesus. And again, context is key, and it's actually opening and closing with letters to seven churches. So please note, these were for actual people that the writer knew, specific churches in specific times, in specific contexts. things like the Roman Empire, which it has lots to say about. So there's loads of imagery, loads of metaphor with various themes, symbolic, significant imagery. And it's also saturated in Scripture. From all that we've seen on that timeline, all that's gone before, it's saturated in some of those themes. Let's just have a really quick look at one example of what I mean by that. And there's a vision of Jesus in the first chapter, 14 to 15. It says this, The hair on his head was white like wool. As white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And there's just so much going on here we might not otherwise realize because this language would have been known to the readers as descri- descriptions of God. And remember, at this time, to kind of put that on Jesus was still a huge statement to be making. The white hair is used in Daniel 7 to describe like an external, eternal existence. The eyes like fire, feet like bronze, also from images that we get in Daniel all the way in the Old Testament. And that description of the feet of bronze was also in its time like this sign of great power, great force, speaks of like strength and steadfastness for the people of secure foundations. And the voice-like rushing waters language we get from Ezekiel chapter 43. And if you just think for a moment, and again, let this kind of imagery and metaphor run wild in your imagination, the roar of rushing waters has immense power, right? If you've ever seen Big Waterfall, immense power, but also at the same time, great peace. I remember visiting Niagara Falls uh, a number of years ago and the power was absolutely immense. This is a picture I took, stunning place. But what was amazing was you could hear the sound and even feel the spray like way in the distance. Way before you got there, you could feel it and sense it. Amazing power, but also the peace. Right When you get right in there, funky poncho and all, when you're right in there, suddenly you're immersed and there's this beautiful sense of peace and almost tranquility. And so as the writer's using some of this imagery, you see how even just this quick example, there's all this Old Testament and there's all this language, but actually really what it's saying is like, look to Jesus. He is the one, the beginning and the end. And we get this imagery from Revelation, uh, this vision of Jesus, but then also this language of a new heaven and a new earth. All things new. We've sung about it already this morning. We've use this kind of language and this is where we get it from. This idea of one day, this new heaven and new earth, where the whole story is heading. 21, 4 to 5, which is part of our reading that Emily read. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who's seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. This is an amazing thing to get our heads around. There's two words used in the New Testament uh, in the Greek for new, one of them being neos, which means brand new or more so like young. And then kainos, which is something old that's made like new, and the word here that Jesus is making all things new is all things kainos. Do you want to have a go saying that with me? Kainos. Perfect. This idea, uh, kainos, recreated. In other words, restored to a former glory. And when describing the new heaven and the new earth, again the word is kainos. I don't know if you've. Thought much about eternity and how you picture heaven, whether it's the, the floaty clouds and the angels with harps or the Red Bull which gives you wings adverts. But the picture that the Bible seems to paint here is of this union of heaven and earth, of all things being reconciled, is what the grand narrative that we've been looking at, the whole storyline heading towards this restoration, how things were in the garden in right relationship with God, the creator back to the garden, except now it's a garden city. You see, the garden was never meant to be static, but developing as humanity partners with God, each playing a role, expressing and contributing and collaborating and building this movement. And then this garden that becomes a garden city. The vision continues at the right end of the Bible, chapter 22 of Revelation. This picture again, the the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb uh, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now see that imagery, city streets, but still the tree of life at the very centre. The picture we got in the garden at the beginning, the tree of life in the very centre, connecting us from the beginning of the story to how things will be. Not just a return back, but a step forward to a new garden city filled with the presence of God, the one who is redeeming and renewing all of human history and creation itself. All of this going on as we use a phrase like, all things new. I'm aware that this is very um, big picture, quite perhaps lofty language. So just practically to zoom in on the detail of what this means, this is what gives me so much hope in the here and now. In the unknown, in the mystery in the middle where there are great unanswered questions. There are the stories uh, without the healing testament at the end. There are great tragedies and injustices around the world, right? We don't need to look very far to know that. But to know that there will be a day, as we've heard, where there will be no more death, no more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, where everything will be restored, everything will be made kinos. Hope like an anchor for the soul rooting us today, even this morning. So when that diagnosis call comes through or the job changes or we're struggling to see a way out or make sense of things, that's when this grand narrative actually becomes real. That's when this story that we are part of can be drawn upon, can be rooted in and can be a lived expression even in each of our lives and even more so as a whole community. That's what gives me hope. And this imagery stirs up a reliable faith, trustworthy and true, as it said in the reading. And it stirs up hope, this story to live in, as we've been saying, as well as a story to then live out. So what does it mean to belong to Jesus, to follow him? And in doing so then, what does that mean to live it out in Southampton 2023, in light of this incredible picture? And our vision as a church is attached to this, as if you've been around for a while, we'll know following the way of Jesus, playing our part in the renewal of the city. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this. We've been sharing stories. We had the thing of that we're all puzzle pieces of part of this puzzle. And it comes from this conviction that God's story of creation, it isn't just about holding on and waiting and then hold, you know, get, eventually getting there but it's actually something that can start right here, right now. We sung it earlier, you know, it's not just about waiting for God this moment for all things new. Right here, right now, we can continue to live and work and praise with faith and with hope. As we've journeyed through this book, it's not just an invitation to know about and to get to know the stories, but actually to live it, actually to express it. Not just about getting through the Bible, but the Bible getting through us and lived out. And the writer and theologian N.T. Wright I think has a really helpful, quite simple illustration just to help express express this and help us grasp this. And it's of this five act play. Like if you think of kind of old Shakespearean transcript, suddenly you. Find find it in the loft of this five-act play. And what you've got is um, all of the pages of the scripts of the play from the beginning through to the start of act five, the final act, but then some of the rest is missing as you look through these transcripts. The rest of chapter five is missing. So he asks, what would you do? Or more so, what would the actors who are going to be playing this story do? And he describes these five acts pretty much the same as what we've been looking at as we've gone through this story like this. Creation as one and the fall, Israel, which we had there, Abraham and um, Moses and David, and then Jesus and the church. And he says the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament are there in the transcripts of the opening scenes of Act 5. But from there, there, with it being missing, Wright suggests the task then would be for the actors and those involved to immerse themselves in the first four acts, to know the story inside out, to learn the characters, to get to know, to understand in order to then be able to improvise to understand, to then improvise. And it's like that in some ways for the church. We soak ourselves in the first four acts and the beginning of the fifth. We get to know it. We immerse ourselves in the story. We know the trajectory and then we can participate. And we also, as we've been looking, get to know the end of the story. We get to know the kind of final closing chapter, as it were, that all things new, the kainos. And so to be consistent with where this story is heading, which we know, we can then play our part and join in in the here and now. As Wright says, it's through the Holy Spirit and it's in the prayer and the worship life of the church and it's in our service and care. It's all that's going on here in the day to day as we seek to live this stuff out, as the story is still lived out faithfully among us here at St. Mary's in, in Southampton helpful kind of just simple picture of, of looking at it in this way. And N.T. Wright in a book, Surprised by Hope, puts it like this, which is really helpful. People who believe in the resurrection, in God making a world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. The right here, right now, the agents of love and renewal, shaping and creating and planting and praying in the office, at the school gates, on the night out, in the pub, wherever it is, being these agents of renewal. And it's in the context of the whole story, the Bible, how we live as those image bearers. Remember John's talk of week two, I think it was, which really means like living statues, made in the image of God, representing God in the world. And this idea, if we are made in the image of God, then therefore it's with inherent dignity, inherent worth and inherent value. Every single human being on this planet has that worth. And so it matters how we see each other. It matters how we speak about each other. It matters how we value each other. And how also, by the way, how we see and treat and value ourselves. And the writer John Mark Comer combines all of this and this language, this imagery of Garden City uh, when he puts it like this. We're called to a very specific kind of work to make a garden-like world where image bearers can flourish and thrive, where people can experience and enjoy God's generous love A kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, where the glass wall between earth and heaven is so thin and clear and translucent that you don't even remember it's there. That's the kind of world we are called to make. That's the kind of thing we get to participate in. That's basically what it means to be the people of God and the church here in 2023. Let me just finish with this story, an illustration I think of the hope that we can receive and then carry from these words, living in and living out the story and whatever reality we find ourselves in. And it's about this composer called Olivier Messiaen and a piece of writing that we're gonna hear called The Quartet for the End of Time. And the story behind this piece of music is that Olivier was drafted in World War II And he was helping as a medic in the war before being captured by the Nazis and put in a concentration camp. During the winter of 1941, in these brutal, brutal conditions, he actually managed to get hold of a New Testament and he read the Gospels and then he read the book of Revelation, what we've just been looking at, what we've just been thinking about. And as he read these words and was inspired by these words in the middle of such a place of darkness, and despair, somehow he was filled with hope. He was able to write this very piece of music. No doubt, I imagine, with these words going through his mind again and again, he who is seated on the throne says that I am making all things new. This particular movement is called Praise to the Eternity of Jesus. Again, that language, Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and the end. Praise to the Eternity of Jesus. And he found some favour with a guard who liked music and he managed to gather four beat up old instruments. And on the 15th of January, 1941, out there in the freezing cold, of this horrible, horrible concentration camp, him with three other prisoners who are musicians played this piece publicly for the first time. In front of a few hundred prisoners and even some guards, you can almost imagine them now kind of huddled together, shivering, quietening down, coming closer to get a glimpse of this beautiful music inspired by the words of Revelation. Captivated by the music, something resonated. Messien later recalled about that moment, never had I been listened to with so much attention and understanding. Because I think he was carrying the song of a confident hope in his current circumstances and communicating a kingdom, a future kingdom, but also a kingdom that's at hand. was in their midst as he wrote that and he played that, even in the despair even in the darkness and I really think that that is the role of the church today People of the future in the present, bringing hope and light right in the middle of wherever we are, whatever's going on, whatever we're going through in our work and our relationships, our conversations, as we share the story and the song, the music, the story, whatever it is within us, I really believe that people will come forward, huddle up and find warmth and find hope and find life as we live this out as a church. So let me close with these final words of the whole Bible, the final words we get in this grand narrative that we've been looking at as the band come up. Right, it's come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.